de Global Latin Factor Podcast. Welcome, welcome you and all to another episode of the Global Latin Factor Podcast where we talk about Latino everything. Thank you very much for joining us to another episode and another video if you're on audio. Thank you very much as well. Subscribe to the channel. Go give us a review, five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You already know the business. Today, very, very awesome treat because we have an entrepreneur, visionary, multimedia producer, engineer, sound designer, filmmaker, hip-hop artist, gamer, more recently, metaverse content creator, founder, and co-owner, engineer, music producer, VK Beats, co-founder and co-owner of Valley of the Kings Music, Valley of the Kings Super Producer, get him before he goes platinum. We have a very passionate and committed music professional, Billy Sin. What's, what's up, up, my what's brother? Up, How you up, doing? Cool, man. Cool. Did I get everything right? Is it? I was trying to say that all in one breath, right? Huh? I, I had mean, to take pauses. That's all the many, many hats that yeah I, I wear here yeah. as, as overall o- owner of. This place, VK Studios, about yeah. King's Music. Yeah, man. So I don't know if y'all noticed, we're in a different setup. Today we hit the road with Carlos, and uh, we're at the Valley of the Kings. Uh, give them the address real quick. 9550 Skillman Street, um, Suite 401. Is it 401? Hold on, let me write. Mm-hmm. Suite 410. 410. 410. Okay, and then telephone number if they ever need some work. Studio, quality, sound, engineer, master, everything. You do it here, right? Yeah, just call me at 469-223-1591. All right. It's never changed, man. We're gonna, it stays the same. Uh, awesome, man. I know uh, we'll get into all that right now, but we're going to go ahead and do a segment that I like to call Preguntas al Chile. Preguntas al Chile. I'm not subscribed Preguntas to the channel. Preguntas al Chile. Graphics. Carter's put together. For the segment, you need to check them out. You ready? Dale. Are you sure? Everybody gets stuck on this segment, man, but I know. I got faith in you. Dale. Do I have a time limit to answer? I got quick fire? That's quick fire. Okay. Tacos or torta? Okay. Tortas. Corn, to- corn tortillas, flour tortillas. Corn. Pupusas gorditas. Pupusas. Jarrito Fanta. Jarritos. Agua de horchata, Jamaica, tamarindo. Horchata. Salsa verde, salsa gorda. Verde. Okay. Menudo pozole. None. None? Valentina, chanura, tapatillo, tabasco, sauce. Valentina. Uh, tres leches, cake, or quesadilla, cheesecake? Uh, quesadilla, cheesecake. Uh, concha, brown ones, the white ones, or the pink ones? No conchas. No conchas, you don't like them? Okay. All right, we can slow down now. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you hear, what is the conspiracy theory that you can almost guarantee that it has to be true? Uh, Shug is a very cool person. <laughs> I think so. I've heard that from a lot of circles that Suge is a very cool person. <laughs> so, so you think the narrative around what he is is painted by Hollywood or people that don't want him to be involved? More like maybe a history. Uh-huh. There's always history in what we do music, and there's two sides of it. There's history of what we do through our musical accomplishments, and then history through the back end of, of things. And I yeah. think through his um, ruthless business tactics, and I think just, just his overall just being who he is, his influence that he took. Yeah. And took his street influence, took it to a record label area type, you know, arena. Right. And made it the norm to be a certain way. Yeah. Normalized the culture we kind of, you know, see now that has, has evolved. Which was gangster music at that time and embraced yeah. more of it. Yeah. Nice. I like that. Okay. So what comes to mind, what comes to mind first when you hit, hear the word Latino, Latina, or I don't know if you care for the word Latinx. Labels. Labels. It's all just labels. Okay. 
And do you mind if anybody calls you Latino that you prefer to be called? I know that on your social media, one of us is a human. But do you prefer that over any other additional label that they want to put you on? Yeah, man. I mean, it's a plus that I can, you know, speak another language. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I will identify myself as what I really am. You know, I am a Latino human. I am a, hum- you know, Hispanic human. I'm not going to say, oh, no, I have all this history behind my name and who I am. Right. I deny it. But I'm not going to let that limit me on, oh, that's just my category. Categorize me under this. I don't like that. You know, I'm a multi-genre artist. You know, I do rap music. I, you know, do in in English and in Spanish. I also do blues, rock music. Yeah. There's a whole spectrum besides the people that I record, too. You know, that and there's that, you know, uh, you know, point of the whole prism. The recording and producing of people is different than being an artist also. Yeah. Do you think being a Latino helps you out with that? Because usually when we grow up, we hear all kinds of different music. We hear whether it be a salsa, merengue, uh, you know, rap, hip-hop, and things like that. I think the things that that, uh, that is just influence, I think it's just really anybody who has influence with music is going to pull from their past. Gotcha. You know, so a, a lot of us, if we don't even realize it, some of the music that we listen to our late middle school to high school years is still a catalog we go back to. <laughs> We're still going back to that. Yeah. So as you create music, you think on that aspect, am I going to write songs that give that to somebody to a generation how can i grow with a generation and make music that's as timeless as what you know it impacted me so you stop making music as oh, i'm just writing you start making music for the feeling yeah and then some of that music is even recycled and redone even for our era that is even older than that wow but that's a secret that's been done forever <laughs> with music forever. the regurgitation recycling of the earworm yeah in order to have like you said a generation maybe you haven't connected with that's the way you connect them with open up a catalog to people like, oh, hold on. He sampled that song that I played for my graduation back when I was a and so and so in nineteen seventy something. Let me let me give this artist, Kendrick, you know, Lamar a chance. And then boom, you have now your aunt or your mom even listening yeah. to something that's on, on your playlist on Spotify. And you're like, wow, okay. That's good. We, we we can relate now and bump the same music. You know, that's always really cool when you can do that that is cool tell me about that i never heard that phrase the earworm thing tell me what, what exactly does that mean what does that phrase mean so you're always going to have certain things like uh three blind mice is always da 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 da, da you know so go and you listen to those things throughout different music which use the da 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 and even those little bits you know well the, the artist or producer will go and use from different points of your life right. so he'll go and hit you from marriott little lamb even down to uh a popular theme song that you've been listening to. Like old McDonald and things yeah. like that. Well, like, let's say, uh, being in Dallas, you had those uh, Mattress Giants commercials. Oh, yeah. Those, ooh, ah, only at Matt. That's the ear one for somebody in Dallas in that point in time that they're going to recognize. Okay. So then think about it on a whole national level and what age group you're hitting, what mm-hmm. things were special to them. The Hey Arnold theme song, yeah. uh, Different Strokes theme song, just yeah. all borrowed from that as a good producer. Borrow from those little things and then hit you know, the heartstrings of people. And then that would connect with you because you don't know even know why you're liking it, but something sounds familiar to exactly. you about that. And like, that's what draws you to listen to it. I was listening to a song, I believe, by Nardo Wick, uh-huh. and he's basically doing uh, Tom's Diner. <laughs> his cadence of rap is exactly, even down to the hook, he doesn't do Tom's Diner. He right. does his own interpolation of what it should be. But if you know Tom's Diner, you're like, oh, man, that's, that's, that's cool. You know, I, who's Nardo Wick now? That's pretty sick. I like that. 
Okay, so you started, uh, your family is from El Salvador. You said your family or just your father or, or your My mom and my dad. Both do. Mm-hmm. Do you know a little bit of their journey as far as El Salvador? You were born in Boston. Yeah. We'll touch up on uh, on that in a little bit. But do you know how their journey was as far as getting to the States or getting to Boston? Yeah. Um, you know, my dad uh, in his youth and stuff, uh, he liked to, you know, Get into trouble, you know. Yeah, he had, he had a you know good old time living, yeah, living yeah, as every yeah. youth in El Salvador. Absolutely. But he came to age like uh, came to age at a very special time in El Salvador too, when there was a civil war going on. Yeah. So a lot of his life, a lot of the people in our family were very prominent military figures that did cool stuff. But when it got to that point, you had a little division of what was the cultural norm and who you could hang out with or. Yeah. What places were you going to? Right, and right. if you had a family that was very military influenced, you always would question at a time that you had, I mean, we're talking about this is post beatniks. You know, my dad was born in 1952, post beatniks. Mm-hmm. You had the, the Beatles stepping into their evolution stages right. and that music influenced what was going on there culturally as well. Yeah. So what was, what was the, the American influence teaching some of the uh, youth down there to, to rebel, be yeah. the counterculture? Yeah. Well, over there in El Salvador, the counterculture got you shot in the court, in the street. Ouch. So my dad was very counterculture. And guess who else was really counterculture? The uh, guerrilleros over there. So the guerrilleros were fighting hippies. And they also had the, the, the best stuff. So, you know, getting caught up in that whole situation right there put my dad in, in a, in a real-life journey with, hey, man, your lifestyle that you've picked mm-hmm. is now going to dictate your life and death. Yeah. You know, he got arrested with his brother. They whole police chase they shot up his car they put his car right there front and center like they used to do back in the day like look who we caught yeah and for a long time for about a total like 15 days or so um my father was taken to uh you know police station was sequestered with his friends and um you know was put to different torture while he was there nobody knew he was even who he was Mm -hmm. nobody his family didn't even know he was still alive when they saw the car they saw it all shot up nobody could have survived that but him and his brother survived after a high-speed chase that when they wrecked, he said, all the weed we had was all over the place. And we all we both checked each other out. You know, we're like, we're alive. And, right. and, and the, the military is like, yeah, you're alive for now. And, you know, my dad told me a lot of crazy memorable things about just that short 15 days or so of him experiencing things where there was a cliff over there in El Salvador. Mm-hmm. World-famous cliff. I think they threw those, uh, those nuns. Off of the off of the that cliff yeah, back in the yeah. day that caused the U.S. to really get in there and check more about why they assassinated Romero and stuff. Yeah. Well, they took my dad and his friend to that exact cliff, and they had them both like you know, hey, let us tell you a story. And at that same time, while they were about to tell them the story that yeah. they usually tell everybody to push them, you know, they get a, a call through the radio going, hey, they're good, let's go. Out. <laughs> That's crazy. You know, you get to come to terms with your mortality right there, yeah. and then right there, it's gone. Like, no, let's go. How much shock are you going to get to that, you know? So after that incident and those 15 days, that's when he started to oh, need to get th- out yeah. here? Every, no, everybody after that incident, everybody told him, hey, it's time for you to just find a way out. So yeah. he himself and his brother slowly found a way out where they went from El Salvador up to Mexico. Mm-hmm. And then from Mexico, was able to reunite with some of the family. At that point in time, our family had divided up to California, Miami, mm-hmm. and they figured out a way to to meet up. When they met up in the United States, they... You know, found different, you know, they were in Miami where they all meet, met up. Then from Miami, they went to the West Coast. Yeah. Then from the West Coast, they ended up in the East Coast. And that's kind of, you know, where, where, you know, I came into the picture in the whole story. Yeah. Once they moved to the East Coast, 
And for El Salvador, somebody that's coming from El Salvador, they usually seek some kind of asylum, or is it they cross the Nah, he, he went straight just Im- Im- immigrating. He just he couldn't seek no asylum. It was it wasn't so you didn't want to tell people you were caught up in political trouble mm-hmm. back then. Yeah. The the war that they were fighting wasn't a very popular war. He didn't want to seem like a communist or seem like anything that would jeopardize his his to be allowed in there. Right, right. You know, so and he did what he could, and and he managed to to get to the United States. Got my mother there, you know. My I have an older sister. She was yeah. born in the uh, in the West Coast and stuff like that. And um, from there, they try to see what worked for them. You know, they they lived in MacArthur Park, that whole area over there. Were part of that whole experience yeah, yeah, with the yeah. uh, with the Chicanos and the Salvadorians yeah. mixing around in that area. And then after that, they kind of just my mom got into technology, mm-hmm. and that's where kind of the story stopped being about two immigrants trying to evolve and how do we do odd jobs? You know, the odd jobs yeah. that, that all our parents eventually did when they first came in here. Oh, yeah. You anything. know, <laughs> anything, anything, <laughs> really. But then at one point in time in the dynamic, my mother said, you know what? We're not doing this anymore. I'm going to study computers. I'm going to study computer science and learn that. Yeah. And, that's dope. you know, that's when she decided to take our family in a whole different direction and helped us get to where particularly we were at. Mm-hmm. You know, from that point where I was born in Boston, she was part of the computer science program in Tufts University. Yeah, it was one of the first cool. people to experience having a personal computer. That's badass. <laughs> so, I've always had her hand me downs on computers and yeah. stuff, and always known how to use that stuff and be technology savvy. So even at an early age, I was still trying to figure out, like, hey, what is this? What is this here? You know, always curious. What are you doing at work, mom? <laughs> and she would show me, and I wouldn't understand until you know. Eventually, I had that computer, that device, and I broke a whole bunch of them. <laughs> yeah, oh. hey, you gotta learn somehow, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's dope. So, how do you feel about what uh, El Salvador? I don't know if you ever gone by, back or been visit El Salvador, but Bukes like uh, I don't know if he's a newer president. I think he is a newer president, and he's doing a lot of changes over there. I, have you? Do you care for any of that? Do you go and check the news to see what's going on? I don't know if you. I, I think it's pretty cool what Bukele is doing mm-hmm. in a sense where El Salvador hasn't had really, really different reformation. You know, this is the country that's post-Civil War, in, in a sense, you know. And, yeah. and now the generation that's coming to power is a generation that wants progressive change. They don't want the same. Yeah. And Bukele is a representation of that. And ever since he went into power, he had a lot of the older politicians and even the defining institutions there right, right. to really criticize why. Why are you here? Why are you here? But, I mean, he's done stuff like created Bitcoin to be some of the national currency. Yes, Bitcoin is... A currency that not not even a currency. It's a very fluctuating, unstable type of uh, market. But it's a market. It's there. People are investing. They're investing a lot of things. People can put money into it and then walk out with a house, walk in with Lambos, yeah. walk in with generational wealth. Even in, in essence, mm-hmm. it's the, almost the same thing when Wall Street became open and selling penny stocks. Yes, you had a bunch of people, even like the Wolf of Wall Street dude, yeah. embezzling that and making investing a bad thing. Bernie Madoff made off with half of America's money. Bad guy. So now we're entering, (laughs) so what he did, a Ponzi scheme, is what, in essence, what some of these cryptos and NFT type things are. But yes, you use them for evil, you're gonna be evil. But there's also a whole brand new other landscape, the technology behind it, the blockchain behind it. That whole blockchain technology can be so useful to us not just for crypto technology, by the way we store things, mm-hmm. transport things, mm-hmm. information. I mean, it's an amazing 
what you can do with just that blockchain technology, even for, like I said, any medium, entertainment, music, you, you can just change the whole way that you store your music, keep track of your music, yeah. and not have any third party really know, keeping an extra eye on your thing. Not to mention, even if you wanted to do a big transfer, the banks are ridiculous when it comes to doing transfer. It takes forever in a day, and then they tie on fees. But... If he, um, if I'm not mistaken, the reason why he did or allowed bitcoins because their currency was like bad, like their yeah. currency was not really yeah. nothing that was worth like using or even you know have it in a country. Yeah. So that's the reason why he opened up something that you know people can actually buy stuff and and. Use. and by, but by introducing the bitcoin, what did you do also? Yeah. You in, you opened up their market, which mm -hmm. what they needed, their economy to boost, and they opened up their market to what I call the crypto consumer. The crypto consumer doesn't spend money like you and I. And they have to realize, how are we going to make our little poor country full of crypto consumers? Well, they didn't really have to worry because they already had one of the most prominent things going on in their country that Bukele did capitalize on, their beaches. Yep. He made sure that El Salvador had one of the best surfing scenes known to, to man. So what are you going to attract naturally when you have the best surfing scenes? Tourism. And then you're going to track young tourism. Yep. And what does young tourism have? Crypto. <laughs> or some type of crypto. You know, and if you don't have a place for them to spend it, especially like uh, like El Salvador, they're not going to come back. Mm -hmm. So what did he say? Oh, no, we're not letting this money get away from us. We're going to invest in that and have the crypto consumer have a haven here because yep. they don't allow it. You know, um, what is it? Bitcoin and most cryptocurrencies are not allowed in, in, in China because it's manipulation in a way of, of their economy or getting into what they already have. Because they're tapping into something that they can't control. And yeah. The, the common people do it. But China's going to go ahead and have one of their citizens be the one who holds the main backing of crypto. Yeah. So it's kind of like a double-edged sword they like to play with, hypocritical. See, the thing is that we already, whether we want or not, is things are already crypto. I don't have any cash in me. I have my card, and that's yeah. zeros and ones. Like, that's all it is. Yeah. It's not anything that... I, like, that's all it is anyways already, but it's just a different way that you don't have to worry about a central bank mm -hmm. and that controls that, and you are able to let the people use their money the way it's supposed to be used instead of having somebody uh, dictate it. The concept of a cashless society, yeah. they promoted that. I remember being in, uh, what is it, like, the talented and gifted classes back in the day, mm -hmm. and one of those things is, like, explain how a paperless society would work. You know, I'm right now thinking, damn... What were we talking about? I know. We were talking about what's happening now. You know, we didn't realize the value of an app. I remember telling a lot of uh, my friends and some of the, you know, my clients saying that, hey, man, we're not going to consume television in a regular fashion. We're going to consume television in an app. Our channels aren't going to be channels anymore. What are you talking about? Yeah, they're like, what? Yeah, it's going to be a homepage and we're going to download apps that, are, that these stations want us to download because what? We're going to pay for their premium service. Download the app for free and pay for the premium. We already get duped into that. And at that time, it was like Candy Crush. So you had all these mediocre computer games getting you hooked with a pay-to-play system. Right. And then all these, uh, you know, I see broadcasters. Paywalls after paywalls after that. Oh, yeah. I remember the good old days where I was thinking the other day, the good old days where everything was free on the internet. Now, anything that you're trying to get is free for a couple of days. Yeah. And there's the paywall or whatever you wanted for their premium services. Yep. Yep. Everything, bro. Yep. And used to be like everything was free. Like yep. You can get all kinds of things there for free. You can still can, but it's a whole lot more challenging now than it used to be back in the days when everything was just like... And you might as well just get the subscription for that free week and get your work out of your way. If you get a money from do, using the free thing, then yeah. get the subscription. It's worth it in yeah. the end instead of trying to find a pirated program that... <clears throat> before... 
You get a program that's only updated maybe once or twice a year. You're waiting for the next year to come out. Now these programs get updated monthly, weekly. Mm -hmm. Every something, something happens. And you might as well do the the whole actual subscription and be like, you know, I'm going to just whatever. And if it doesn't, you don't want to cancel it, cancel it. Cancel it. It's so easy to cancel too, as long as you remember to cancel it. Because, and then also that <laughs> if you if you try to get the pirated thing, nowadays yeah. there's so many freaking easy viruses and Trojan herds and all kinds of stuff that you yeah. can get. Might as well just be secure with things that they provide you. Like, you know, which is, if you're, if that's what you're doing and you need it for your means, you're going to have to invest in that part. Mm-hmm. Okay. What do you think about the criticism that Bouquet has as far as like, countries were saying that he was violating human rights and different things like that. I don't know if you heard anything like that. I'm, I'm, I'm not about the violation of human rights at all. I'm not about people, individuals, human beings getting hurt like mm-hmm. in that, you know, form, but you have a country to run. Right. You're not going to let your country be overrun. You're not going to let your country be notoriously known for being a haven for criminals. Right. Especially when you're trying to attract tourists. It doesn't, like, Thailand isn't a great tourist attraction because it's rampant in violence. No, it's it's king makes sure that that place is run as tight as it can be, you know? So it's the same thing that you have with a dude like Bukele. He has to be like, what am I going to be to these people? Am I going to be saying what I preach? Am I going to reform? Am I going to clean? Am I going to maybe do a soft genocide on, on most of these criminal entities here? Or am I just going to be a, another person that talks, gets elected, becomes a puppet figure, and moves on? Because that feels like what El Salvador had for a long time is those type of things. You know, you have dudes from partidos like the FMNL, uh, that, that they, uh, they were big revolutionary, trying to be progressive, trying to change El Salvador. And then once they get their, their individual elected, it's more the same, more the corruption, more the... Oh my God, I thought this is what we fought so much to get here. Oh yeah, we fought at some point in time we were about that, but this is what happens. Yeah. You know, just like yuppies. They used to be cool ass hippies, but then they got poor and they have to join the workforce and they still want to be cool grown parents and stuff, but they're yuppies, man. They they forgot where they really came from in the end, you know? Yeah, I see um like those people in those countries that try to criticize them for those things don't have to live there with the people that were committing crimes and, and murdering people. These people were murdering people. And it's easy to say from the outside looking in about how your country is nice and safe and anything and try to criticize that country. But you're not having to bury your relatives. You're not having to, you know, and you know, those people are doing that and yeah. terrorizing those people within the community. Yeah. Like, how do you like and then at, at the end of the day, I'm not much of a petty person for somebody that's a criminal. Like, that's how do you think you keep criminals going back? You give them a comfortable place for them to go back. It's easier for them to go back. But if it's challenging, they, they'll probably think twice before they re- uh, do a crime again because they know how hard it's going to be. Also, and hopefully you can reform them at, at that time. But also think about the time that El Salvador's crime was very rampant. What kind of policy did we have here to send? That, Like he said, we're not sending there. Well, no, no, they basically took. I had a policy that, oh, if you're a criminal MS-13 gang member, we don't want you here. You're immediately deported yep, back home. Deported. Mm-hmm. So you brought put that same story that you hear where people who have been born in El Salvador, yeah. but they never spend really more than a month or so of their life there, went to the United States, are Americanized, and they're, they're deported going back to El Salvador with the culture they're at now, introducing to now Salvadorian culture, especially crime culture, mm-hmm. how it gets down here in the United States. 
And some of these people at the deport as well were our ex-vets. So now you're sending militarized criminals to, to go into a country and call it their own. I mean, it's not different as recruiting the same thing that a terrorist uh, organization does. Yeah. Just, you know, different rock, different crack. It's <laughs> true. That's crazy, bro. And you did your dad share all those stories with you as far as I mean, what you went through? My dad, yeah, he shared me the stories where, you know, he, he was he was pretty young when he went through those things. You know, he was, I can believe, man, maybe like 17, 18 when he, when he went through a, a lot of that, wow. that trauma. And then he left to the United States very, at a young age. Mm -hmm. When he um went back to El Salvador, and I went back when, when I was, I believe I was like 15, 16. Yeah. He hadn't been back in like 20 years. Yeah. And I remember, and, and I knew how important was the moment in time that he would lived in. Because I'm chilling, I don't know where, this is like day five of already El Salvador being there for a whole two weeks. And I'm eating, you know, outside seafood with my dad and my mom. And out of nowhere comes this dude, long white hair, yeah. and salutes. And my dad just looks at him. And he just tells my dad his name, salutes him, says this whole whatever spiel. And, and they shake hands and they talk for a while. Then... He introduces himself to us and they shake hands and they part ways. And I'm like, my dad's like, yeah, that guy was a crazy guy when I was over here. You know, you don't understand what he, we did. And then he's sharing stories, opening yeah. up about how the gorillas or whoever he dealt with at the time, how cool and close they were, that they loved them and respect them to the point where like the dude out of nowhere came and saluted him years after later. not seeing him for yeah. 20 years, but That's knowing crazy. he could shake that and just see him and be like, hey, what's up, man? And that, cool. that just showed me how it's, it's different the times that yeah. are, are those, you know, those, those people lived. The people especially have been through a civil war mm -hmm. when your father can tell you, yeah, my best friend, because he got arrested one day, we were chilling with him. And, you know, the next day we walked by, the, his head was on a stick. Ouch. And we're literally chilling and walking every day as his head's rotting. But that's crazy because it sounds bad and it's traumatic, but it is, it was real life. Everyday life. For them, it's everyday life. And the sad thing, it's everyday life for a lot of countries, and it's still everyday life for a lot of countries. Yeah. I mean, Ukraine, I got a friend of mine that's out there in Russia, and he gets the news the, the way the Russians want, to, want you to consume it, mm -hmm. and they're not going to censor it. You know, and the one thing that's going on over there is, is the same, same, just government's playing with people. Yeah, you know, true that. That's all we are, just playing with us. How, how much of us can we throw to the fire until the other team says we're tired? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's true. Battle fatigue, man. So you were born in Boston, but you moved around a few times. You went even uh, to Puerto Rico for a while, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, also Colorado, right? Yeah. You've been all over the place. Uh, I like to travel. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was born in Boston. That was fun. It was cold. How do you feel? Uh, it was cold. Patriots fan or no? Oh, you don't really care. Man, I, really, I like the Celtics. <laughs> like the Celtics? Yeah. Celtics got yeah, it, it was. It was cool. Um, I never... New England type thing. I wasn't about sharing. Yeah. So, you know, everybody's like, yeah, New England. I mean, you're from Connecticut. <laughs> you know, that's hilarious. The, you know, the, the stadiums in our state, like, no, nah, it's our, it's our, uh, we're sharing. Okay, cool. It's freaking cold over there. You know, yeah, it's cold. It's super cold. I remember uh, uh, when I was little, we were there during one of the craziest blender, uh, uh, blizzards over there. Kind of like the one that just happened in uh, Buffalo or worse? Yeah, yeah. Kind of around, you know. Maybe different because, you know, the world's going to shit environmentally yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. But back then, yeah, it was that bad that had a lot of snow, you know, once in a life, uh, lifetime type of snowstorm. Yeah. So I do remember that vaguely. How many feet do you say 
man, I was a small child, so I do remember them opening the door. And, and that, you know, last time I saw snow like that was when I moved to Colorado. And people told me that was normal in Colorado. So I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, I bet, bet. It's time to shovel snow, I guess. See, here in Dallas, we might have got like maybe a, a, not even a foot, but over there upstate, freaking fifty. Like like six feet, seven feet, eight feet of mm-hmm. snow. Like it, that's like nothing, nothing, nothing. And it's okay because like they have the streets are equipped. The pe- yeah. the public serve the public. Uh, they ready service. They're, they're ready for all that stuff. All over here, we're used to just <laughs> easy breezy summer weather. The minute we get a foot or something, everything. They're like, oh crap, not enough salt over here. We weren't ready. Tell us we weren't ready. No, she. She wasn't ready. They got plow trucks over there. Too. Yeah, yeah, all kinds of stuff. You know, you got people putting chains on tires. You yep. give you give chains to one of us. People here, like, what is what this? The heck what is, is happening here? What is is this the end of the world? What am I gonna pull with? No, you put it in your tire. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, when did uh, your musical journey begin? I know that uh, even ten years ago, you were doing music. When did, when did you start it? Man, I've been doing music professionally. About twenty years now, towards so yeah, since I was like nineteen. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I caught the bug listening to it when I was in my teens. You know, uh-huh. and listening to cool stuff. But hip hop music started speaking to me <clears throat> in a professional manner, and then also in a in a wanting to learn more. Yeah. You know, it's like, hey, this is music, <clears throat> a cultural movement that's happening in my time. Mm-hmm. I'm part of it. You know, just like my parents were part of the evolution of rock music right. and the whole, you know whatever that ended up being. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, hey, I'm at the beginning of this thing. I'm interested. I want to know more. And as a fan, I got I, I got deep into the things I liked. Wanted to know where songs were recorded, who did the songs. I always wanted to read the credits. Big fan of just cover art, credits, wanting to know who did what, what these names meant. And then once I actually started becoming more conscious of what all this was, I wanted to know, how do I become a name here? How do we become a name back here? How what is all this that's being done? You know, and then uh, I, I caught the bug from going also to people's houses, seeing their house setups, their garage setups, their home setups, mm-hmm. asking them, hey, you need anybody to set up your, your microphones? You need anybody to set up whatever? Let me, you know, I'm here. I'm game. I'm cool. Yeah. And then from then it was like, I'm here. You feel that. You feel when you've set up something and somebody's performing on, on it could be the smallest thing as pushing a fader or the smallest thing on the whole microphone to how it sounds mm-hmm. and that dude goes man this is the best i've sound on stage and you're like yeah that's you so yeah. <laughs> you know and you don't need the self-recognition you don't yeah. need the attaboy it's more it's more like hey man i improved which like oh i've never sound so good yes i improved your mentality now this particular stage because mm-hmm. in the end that's what you want to do you're you want your engineer to want the talent to come back to that stage you know, you want him to have the best experience to be like, you know what? I'm a book. I'm, I'm gonna stay here tomorrow. This this facility's so great. I'm gonna give you an encore, or whatever. That that's a win win for everybody. You got an extra j- a night of a job. The venue tries to scramble to facilitate, but at least you you know your skill caused that to happen. It's yeah. very rare that that people even understand the journey that it takes to, I guess, push one damn fader. You know, even performing, even performing, and you grab your microphone and you see that whole front row which is the only thing you can see because of all the lights and you see that whole front row actually talking back to you in either body language mm-hmm. or talking back to you as in reciting your songs or talking back to you as in walking away and not liking your music you know yeah, yeah. that was more the feeling I liked about music instead of creating mm-hmm. and then when you step in create that's a whole nother world you're cooking now with sounds you're creating you know audio alchemy in an essence 
you're picking from frequencies, adjusting frequencies, taking now from nostalgic moments, mm -hmm. earworms, you know, yeah, and yeah. making all that combined with science and math to make the next hit that plays over and over in people's heads so they can now carry that amalgamation of things you made to be so, oh, I love this. It's the meal. I'm fucking gonna carry it for the rest of my life type shit, you know? Yeah. So that's all in the end a good producer wants to do. Music that's gonna make you feel. And then you get a uh, producer, you know, two spectrums. You get a producer that makes you want to feel, and then you make, get a producer that makes you want to spend. Yeah. You know, it's too like some, then the spend ones are like, damn, his, his, his track record of success in, in, the, in the marketplace is the type of success I want to now be, be attached to, mm -hmm. you know, versus one is like, hey, I want to attach to this guy because his feeling of music is, is, is oh my, I'm never going to make another song with that much importance again mm -hmm. i want your important tracks i don't want the filler tracks you know yeah. and that's why it's a struggle sometimes finding a hit because sometimes uh that important track isn't important to the rest of the world yeah that's true and then that happens a lot with uh different songs like uh, ice ice baby that wasn't even supposed to be a hit uh, even uh vanilla Ice didn't even like that track it was on like a b-side and then one of the jocks and the djs found it and spinning and people just freaking loved it so he didn't even like that song. So there's a story behind that whole right. creation. On uh, yeah. uh, I owned uh, the the studio before this one yeah. was the studio where Ice Size Baby was recorded and created on. And then I met one of my clients, uh, one of my clients uh, at the uh, when I was there, and said when his father came to pick him up, he goes, "Do you know that I was one of the people that helped that whole studio session moment and broke us down a little history of how it was?" And yeah, he wasn't very excited about the track mm -hmm. and stuff, but again. That energy, the moment, the minute he played it, they were looping whatever the back and forth, you know? Yeah. And then they were like, bro, just, just. And then the minute he hits that first, and that's what everybody knew when he hit that first line. Maybe he didn't see it, but that magic just was created. You know, you're right there. And, and I guess that's when they knew they had, a, they had a hit in their hand. Those moments right there, man. You got to, me personally, as a me, me music historian buff type person, like study those moments. Because as a producer, that's th those are going to be always in your bag. How can you create an ice ice baby moment when the talent itself hates what they're hearing? Yeah, but you guys got to sit there and cook. Because usually sometimes that's not how it happens with the artists. They're usually there's a few that do like say, yeah, I know this is going to be a hit. But some of them are like, I didn't even like the track. But then he just sometimes sometimes you got to do something that's really scary in the music industry. Yeah, trust your producer. Trust your producer. <laughs> you know. Trust your engineer and your producer, those two guys are not against you. They're on your side. Mm -hmm. And just, if he says it's not a go, have trust that you came to him for that opinion. Mm -hmm. And if you're always fighting with your engineer and producer, maybe you don't need one. Yeah. Maybe you don't need one. All you need is someone to press the buttons, press the faders, and you direct them because they're so efficient with the program. Great, you know that, that's a big difference. You know that's that's an engineer, that's an audio engineer, that's an audiophile, that's a dude that sits there and wants to sweep frequencies all day. Yeah. Versus a a producer engineer, I need that feeling. If we're not feeling it today, session's over. Session's over. You guys regroup. Yes, I know it's a waste of money, and sometimes if the studio is yours, you're gonna eat it because if it doesn't feel right, why force it? Yeah, and I've been and I've been in sessions where it doesn't feel right. I've done my part of sessions where you're like. Crap, crap. And the hardest part, and I, I don't know if every engineer does this, but the hardest part for me is to stop a session and be like, hey, guy, what are we doing? In, in, in a real conversation, hey, come back, come in here. 
what are we doing? Because we've been half of the session on a hook. You're not hitting tones. When I try to describe to you progress, you don't know progress. You're, you think I'm insulted. We're not, we're not meeting a, a, a chemistry here. Yeah. So it's either I'm not the right person for you to work with, or maybe this industry isn't the right path for you. I ask hard questions like, what's going on at home? You have a child. How much of the budget at home goes to making music? Okay, do you really have the time to invest in yourself? Because it's going to take this much. Because when I'm seeing you come to the studio in the last three months and you're spending this much, is that really a budget? Are you a hobbyist musician? Because if you're a hobbyist musician, I'm going to back off and we're going to have the best time of our lives here and, and really dig into music because you, you want to. Mm -hmm. But if you're a, a commercial musician or a musician really trying to make an impact, you're going to analyze every, every bit, nook and cranny. You're going to go through every trial and error moment. You're going to really sit there and try to get the best product. Because you're, you're only going to live through those moments and feelings at one time. But you do have to have those conversations. <laughs> exactly. And that's crazy that you, I don't even know how your sessions went, but it is important to know, like, what, are you, what is your direction with this? What do you want to do with it? What do you want to come out with it? Yeah. Understand that if you're going to be something like this, you're going to have to have a budget. You're going to have to f have the funds needed. Yeah. Like, you're not recording as fast as we wanted to. So it's going to take a little more time to get it right. So if your budget's good it good with it, and then you 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 don't mind, so we can get it right. And for what you're looking for to to put it out to the masses, that we can do that. But if you're, you know, have a couple of babies in the house, you barely scraping by, really or not, is is you haven't got in the motion of recording and know what it feels like and yeah. putting them out, then it's going to take you longer. So it's going to cost you more. You know, invest at the home studio, yeah, and then bring me back your mixes. I ain't tripping with that. And sometimes some of the best. Like I said, feeling. It's about feeling to create music for me. Mm -hmm. If you're in my studio and you're spending that, that premium price and you're not getting that same feeling you're getting at your house from a setup that you like to record, but the only thing you need is someone to make it sound right, I mean, you know, let's do that instead. Let's, yes, let me get the, because I get mad yeah. when uh, my clients play me the, the demo and when they come here to cut it again, I'm like, come on, guy, where's that energy? Where's that energy? And then sometimes also, double-edged sword on the whole thing. Mm -hmm. The artist might record a version that they love, they love, they love, but they've been listening to it before use for so long. Mm -hmm. And they're proud of their baby. I mean, they're proud of it. And then they bring it to me and I hear potential. I hear like, oh my God, yeah, this is, this is nice. But let's try adding a couple more layers on this part. Let's try, maybe let's re-record the first verse because it needs clarity. And I think this word here you can take out to make it like, oh, really modern, really, really now. Keywords like that to tell the artist like where you can construct your criticism per yeah. se, yeah. and and they get a thing called demoitis, and they don't want to hear those things. They're like, nah, Bill, that's too much. You're adding too much to my track. You're you're putting too much. So that's where the producer, not engineer, producer artist relationship has to step in there. How are we going to make this a collaborative process so it's still your song? Because mm -hmm. again, not everything I say is right. right. I'm just a really professional, educated opinion. Because in the end, if you tell me no. I like the way I originally dropped it. Work with that bill, man. Then I'm gonna have to do my job, which is I'm gonna work with it. Cause then you let them know, like, hey, I respect it. Is this what you want? This is my humble opinion on it, based on what I study. But mm -hmm. that's what you want. Don't come after. Don't go back at me that you didn't go your way. Oh yeah, because I told you. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Some some clients are like, hey man, so did you like it? And I go, yeah, I loved it, except the part where you told me to keep this, and you're like, ah, shut up, Bill. <laughs> but but. You have you went to school for this, like yeah. you went to school to study for. First of all, let's uh, talk about your name. How did your name came about? You are Billy Sin. Yeah, 
Little it thing. used to be a different people with the sin. Uh, I don't know if it was a different crew, right? Like yeah, it was all. Um, we had a, I had a back in my youth. I had a party crew called the Syndicate. Syndicate, and we just just party. You know, that was what we call each other. We we like to just get together. All of us were from different walks of life, mm-hmm. so we figured, hey, let's just create this whole little party syndicate that we do, and yeah, yeah. the name stuck. Um, as I we all grew out of it, and some people stayed. It's still in the in the, doing business with me. We just decided to all apply the same last name moniker, and we all carried it. We did music, we did business, you know, like uh, the ASAP mob and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So before they were they were doing that, we were walking around doing you know Mario Sin, different people like that, and um, you know, then eventually when I got into being an artist, you know, I I just that that was me. I've already been in this whole lifestyle I created, this whole sin syndicate lifestyle that which involves being a musician twenty four seven. Yeah, I mean, the minute this camera turns off you're still going to talk to the same person. Mm-hmm. You know, you're still going to, I'm still going to be a multifaceted artist. I'm still going to be multi-genre. I'm still going to take you from anywhere here in the city. I'll take you. And you'll be like, really? You hang out? You can hang out here too? And like, I can hang out anywhere here because I love the city for its culture. Yeah. You know, there was a point in time, like, like you said, I went to Colorado and stuff and I was trying to find a, uh, an identity where I was fatigued with the music in the city. Mm-hmm. I was fatigued being part of it too. There's it this kind of taxing when, you like a certain sound yeah. and a certain sound you're trying to evolve doesn't come out. I mean, imagine if the Motown sound didn't come out of Motown when it needs Thank you very much for checking out this episode. Make sure you hit the subscribe notification bell. And now back to the podcast. You know, and it wasn't forced. And that's what I always wanted. I wanted to create a, my sound, my palette, the way I hear things to come out you know but also you can't force that it has to come you out want right it time. to be the dallas sound no not no. necessarily not dallas sound again I'm, I'm i don't like the labels of gotcha. like this is mine this is that i just wanted it to be home to the people that really couldn't find a home i went to every studio in dallas to record at some <laughs> point in time i spent good money and i never felt like i was home the only place i felt like i was home is when i was home gosh and then when i got out of the house nothing felt like home unless I was touching those faders. Mm-hmm. Nothing felt like home, like, unless I sat there, there for eight hours straight, 12 hours straight. And then even going back home and not having my setup like I used to, I was like, this isn't home. <laughs> this isn't <laughs> home, man. Not, I got to wake not. up and do regular, you know, wake up, you do what you do in the morning, and, yeah. then, and then you go to the car to drive to the studio. When before it was like, wake up, go to the board, keep it going, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, you know. That's the only way you're going to do what you love, you know. That's crazy. So, so where did you decide to go with Billy? The actual name Billy. My real name is uh, Guillermo. Uh-huh. You know, it. Uh, I hated going through life with people not knowing how to pronounce. Pronounce it. Yeah. I hate repeating myself. So I, I, you know, my dad is a Guillermo also. So whenever he tells me, he's, he's like, "Hey, when I'm around, you know, some friends, I'm Guillermo. When I'm around other people, they like to call me Bill or William." And so Guillermo, Billy, all that, since I was born, it was always a monitor. Like a the, play on on William. Guillermo, yeah. Billy. Yeah. That's pretty cool. You know, the, the Americanization of yeah. it. That the, yeah, the Americanization <laughs> of Guillermo will be the equivalent now, Billy. Yeah. You know, and I, or yeah. Guillermo type, Memo. type Memo. thing, you know. Yeah. And I didn't like being called. Memo will be more like a Latino-Mexican type of, because most of the Guillermo memos, that's what we know. Yeah. But the, in, the, in the U.S., it could be Billy. Right. And, and then when you go to Puerto Rico, I remember in Puerto Rico at a point in time, I didn't really like being called Billy. You know, I like being called whenever they say Guille. Guille. Ahí está Guille. 
I you know, I like how they called my dad that. So I was like, man, I kind of like that. That's kind of cool, you know. How long did you live in Puerto Rico? I lived there when I was till, let's see, six years old to a little bit, almost 10 there. I went there. I survived Hurricane Hugo through there. Damn, a lot of cool stuff. I saw Puerto Rico go through a lot of nice late 80s, early 90s change. Uh, it was very special seeing people all over the island. They're not from Chicago. But they're wearing Jordan all over. I mean, the Puerto Ricans wearing Jordan all over the place, watching Michael Jordan shows, it being a big thing. And you saw how much American yeah. influence, even now, like premieres of The Simpsons and stuff like that, when The Simpsons was over there and people could get it for the first time on cable and satellite. Yeah. It was a huge thing. Uh, Michael Jackson, all these pop culture huge things were magnified by a thousand in Puerto Rico, just how they embraced you know, just American culture and pop culture at that time. Yeah. At that that's time. True. Yeah. That's true because uh, people forget that Puerto Rico is part of the U.S. It might yeah. be a territory, but it's still, yeah. the people there are American citizens. Yeah. <laughs> they're not, they don't have to renew residency. They don't have to nothing. They're yeah. like, they're, yeah. and there's uh, a lot of them in New York, um, uh, Florida, all that area, the East Coast, and yeah. it's just the Chicago it's a, I got a large community of Puerto Ricans. That's pretty cool, though. Yeah. Do you remember any of, uh, like, the beaches and stuff? I remember all of it. Yeah? I remember all of it. Yeah. The beaches, the festivals. Uh, there was a festival that I love called the Octavitas. Uh -huh. That they can... The one thing that stood out that over there, they make these masks out of, out of coconut shells. Oh. These crazy, cool, elaborate masks out of, out of coconut husk shells. And there's, some can be creepy. Some can be really cool and ornate. So I really like the festivals that they just came with their cool ass costumes, you know, traditional San Juan downtown vibe. You're like, wow, this is almost like Mardi Gras type feeling, you know. I imagine now it's a whole big old thing. But seeing that was really cool. The food, the food is one of the best things over there. I bet you it still is. The street food, even down to the vendor selling you coquitos mm -hmm. on the side of the street, you know, and then uh, merengues and then even going down. To certain areas where a dude is selling a jug, where you think like, why is he selling a jug of dirty water? And then you go and no, it's guarapo, guarapo. You're like, oh man, this is sugarcane juice, you know. And then different juice, like different culture, just vibe, man. You just yeah. get you get it in certain parts of the United States. Yeah. When when you go to old America, when you go to old old neighborhoods that haven't been, you know, that been around for over a hundred years, stuff you get in the East Coast, maybe West Coast vibes. But nothing you get in like these new little neighborhoods that pop up that only have like 15 year history. I mean, you don't get that vibe. But yeah. when you go and you get to where places have had the same families set up on that block for generations. Oh my God. It's like, it's cool. It's, yeah. I like that. I'm, like I said, I'm a history buff. I like that. I should have added the, uh, some of the Puerto Rican cuisine on the Pregunta Sal Chile. That was, ah, man. I'm gonna, should I have a couple of them that I could ask, but that's pretty cool. Okay, so you actually went to uh, MediaTek in Dallas and SoundLab for to study for music. I went to when it was called the Dallas SoundLab at first, Sound, and, Sound and then I, I went again. Well, you know, just back to back when it changed to the whole MediaTek format. Mm -hmm. um, when I went for the Dallas SoundLab, though, it was really cool because you had access to teachers that I don't know if you still have access to them, but the best way that I ever learned in that school was coming up to a teacher or even an assistant, be like, "Hey, what are you doing after class?" Mm -hmm. Or what, how do you, you know, really get in that information that you're not going to get in those hours that you really paid for? Mm -hmm. You know, that was one thing I did learn about 
media tech in Dallas, the whole Dallas Sound Lab scene was make friends, know people, even if they come in at different times that you come in. Yeah. Create a community. Learn how to build a community at a very early point in your career because that's what, after you leave here, that's what you're jumping into, yeah. a community. And if you don't know how to be a cog or be a part of it or learn commerce within it, you're just going to be another guy being like, give me my place, give me my entitled turn. I deserve to be here. You know, Dallas got next or I got next. Yeah. You know, 23 uh, is, is all me type vibes, which is really de detrimental to a brand. When you come in with too much competition, too much competitive edge, you also stymie it from people wanting to grow with you. So I'm like, oh, that person's only going to be around till, you know, he consumes himself. Yeah. And it is only beneficial because like things that you might have missed in the class or, or conversations that you didn't get to have, they might have had. So you could tap into what they know and help each other out too. You know, hey, I, I'm trying to get this out, but I can't get it. Do you remember? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is how you do it. Oh, okay, okay. I can do that. Exactly. That's pretty dope. So, yeah, that's pretty cool that, that you, you learned that lesson because I, I don't know how much you tap into the people that you went to school with or still keep in touch with them, but I'm pretty sure they help you grow to, to you know, get everything started. Oh, definitely. Everybody that I went to school with, I still know a couple of cats that uh, that I've met that are, do different things in the industry, and then I know some people that I met by going there that they just walked in through my session like, hey, what's up? How you doing? We heard you were making cool-ass music. Yeah. My friend uh, XCL, he does, um, he's based out of Fort Worth, uh, originally from New York, and he does all these cool tutorials now. He's like the tutorial king on, on um, doing different uh, cakewalk, uh, Fruity Loops, and production uh, software, DAWs, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he puts them all on the internet. So that's a dude that was at a very early point in my whole conception of this idea called Valley of the Kings, mm -hmm. walking in through the door and just vibing with me and being like, this is cool. I was like over 20 years ago, you know? That's crazy. So, but that's pretty cool that he's doing, putting that out there because, man, YouTube is a whole university, a whole freaking uh, universe of different things that you can learn and like tap into to expand and teach people yeah. about the things that you learn. It's also a great way for a person who creates content, even if you're a music producer, you mm -hmm. create content. Mm -hmm. It's a great way to give your product different legs. Now that they like, they like to tell a lot of producers now is like, make sure your song has different ways for it to make income, as in getting it placed in movies, as in creating instrumental albums that you can register in digital distributors that every play now goes into your pocket. And rather than wasting a whole library, you know, I've met producers who sit there and make libraries after libraries after libraries where it's great it's efficient you know when you go to different labels they want to hear that but also it's great not putting those songs out to a point where everybody can be to the highest bidder and just put them in a place where people can stream them and see how that that can build for you if these beats aren't having aren't going to have a home and they're stuck in a graveyard go find a different way for them to still move have friends that are content creators you know, that'd be like, hey, do you need a theme song? Hey, do you need an inter interlude song? Because every time it gets played in your stream, it goes straight back to money going into whichever PRO I've registered this particular, you know, song under. Yeah, okay, like explain to that PRO, what exactly is it? Well, well how, how, much, how much is it important for you to take the right steps to for you to get the most out of a song, whether it be just a beat or a song? Can you walk us through? Because I don't know if maybe people or artists that are coming up realize what it really takes and the steps necessary to make sure that those little plays here and there benefit you and you get the most out of your money. First off, if you're going to even invest in the music industry, mm -hmm. learn how to network, shake hands, show up to places. Don't 
give yourself the idea that this is, oh, I'm just brown nosing. I'm just ass kissing. That you already lost right there. You have to interact. You cannot be a hermit. You cannot be a digital hermit and be like, oh, I only use Facebook, what, to express yourself like a dear diary moment? <laughs> no, we Facebook don't. is not a diary. <laughs> you know, then people will tell you that. But then if it is a diary, then how can you use that persona that you're being so vocal about mm -hmm. and monetize it? Yeah. If you're going to bitch every day, make your bitching a little bit more specific. Mm -hmm. Bitch about the brand. So then, you know, you can have people constantly populate your comments and have something to be relevant about your bitching rather than you being another day, another person saying, I hate Mondays. Why? Why? What particular event about that Monday about the, the mm, 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 that do you hate? You got to go back to work. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so when we're going and talking about the creation of a song, uh -huh. you want to make sure that that is the most important thing you got. You have others that are going to listen to it and give it the feedback it needs. Gotcha. Then go to the lab and create. Once, you, once you've gotten that out of your head and the budgeting out of your head, go and create. When you're stuck there creating, make sure you have the right people in the room mm -hmm. and don't have the wrong people in the room. Sometimes the wrong energy, the wrong, hey, I'm just going to be in here doing one thing and I'm just going to tell you, yeah, add the triangle. It's very important to see who's in the room mm -hmm. because you're sharing now the points within the creation of this great song. And even the one dude who's back there rolling your blunts or going down to the liquor store, whatever, <clears throat> you're going to need to give him his credit. We're all in here together. So if you're not going to give any credit where it's due when you're making the series, because you get caught up in situations too where you get a lot of people who create, create, create. And there's no paperwork being exchanged. Be smart about that. I mean, yeah, you can be there and create, but sometimes some people are hermits with their music. It never goes anywhere. It gets stuck in that drive. So make sure that also the person you're creating with isn't a audio hermit, or isn't somebody who just wants to take and just keep it for themselves. Why am I going to give my input in this room if that one dude in there isn't going to make the world hear this, this thing? And why do I want to even ask for a credit in a thing that's going to go back into a vault? And that's sometimes when I walk into a room, I, I'm, not, I'm like, let's worry about it till we get to the stage where you actually have money to put it out there. And then I'm going to be like, come on, let's, let's worry about what we need to worry about. Mm -hmm. And yes, it is kind of double-edged sword. Again, I love to say that because this is what this industry is. It tells you rules that you should follow. But when you get there in the real world, oh, man, everybody wants you to bend. Everybody wants you, oh, no, not right now. I don't want to sign this right now. No, let's, let's do it on this day. How are you going to, you can't just always shut people down too. You can't be like, no, you want to do it my way. You got to work with what the industry gives you and be smart also about the people you want to work with. Yeah. After you got the team, then you get to making the product right. Now you're vibing with the producer. You're vibing with the musicians in there. You're creating now the sound palette of creating a song. What are, what are we doing? Are we doing R&B? Are we doing dramatic music? Are we doing a sad song? But what is this whole <clears throat> beat selection that we have talking to us? You know, what are we going to write this song about? Once we're in there, we're in the groove. We love what we've created. We're going back and forth on the product. Now we're going to wonder what's the next step. At that point in time, between you and the artist, be like, what are we doing next? How is the marketing after the creation process? How is then the mixing? When we mix it, are there going to be certain elements that we want to put into it versus the, <clears throat> the recording? Because, you know... Sometimes the artist will go in there and record it without auto-tune. Sometimes they'll go in there and want certain parts to be distorted, certain parts to have a filter on it. And that all is post. You know, maybe, if, maybe I'll do a little sample of it while we're recording so you, the artist, can catch a vibe of how it's going to sound. Mm -hmm. But the final, we're going to do it in post, and, and we need to think about that. Does the, does the track even call for these extra overproduction techniques that we're doing? Are we, yeah. Or just putting too much on top of it? 
You know, once that's all done, I go back to the marketing. What are we going to do to create all these people that we've given a song to listen to it? What's going to be so awesome about my product that I put in an oversaturated market full of everybody holding their product out? Like, listen to me. How are you going to get, like, okay, what's, what's then your I mean, listen to me thing? It's going to make you stand out from everybody else. <laughs> so most studios don't even want to deal with you at that moment. Most studios are like, hey, man, have a check. You figure it out. Peace out. I don't like that. I kind of want to know where, where, where these, these things are going, and I don't want them to go in a conventional manner. So if people want to release music on their distribution or go to a distributor and go the simple route to having a, you know, a press, you know, people that control your press, people that control your image, and uh, the whole, that shebang of the team, cool. But then there's also other aspects where you can control, be your own manager in a way, control your own image, see how you can manage your brand different than hiring a PR person. You know, there's this thing. It all, can, it all can be in social media, like an email to somebody for you to be booked, but you're still the one running it. Like you can create the narrative of how you want it to. Or maybe you don't have to go and book yourself the traditional ways mm-hmm. and go find a open space like a metaverse stage and find a way to for you to, as a artist, promote your music there. That's free. Those stages are free. You can literally go into a world. And if you advertise your appearance in that world the same way you advertise the way you push your single, how are you not going to generate traffic? So those are the things that I like to, you know, once we get to, we have a hit, how are we going to get people to consume this hit? How is music even being consumed these days? The average music that we listen to gets, uh, comes out of where now? TikTok. Boom. So, yeah, so 15 seconds, 30 seconds. So what can I do now to make my song? Cause nobody's listening to the whole song unless it's being played in the club by the DJ or the radio station going through its marketing that it usually does. So with the TikTok song, a lot of artists come up with dances, challenges. And one little uh, technique is what they do is like, uh, add this song to the last photo on your, on your album yeah, and watch it certain effect. So they give you suggestions, already suggestive things of how you can help me go viral and I can help your little moment in time go viral too. Let's work together. These are new marketing techniques that the average dude writing a song isn't even thinking about that shit. But when you're in here, at least with the, a good creative brain trust of people in the room, you guys, there's already somebody in the room thinking five steps ahead in, in the social networking, but this would be awesome as, you know, there's always one person in the room going, man, I already got to dance to that. Gotcha. Okay, that guy's in charge of figuring out how to make this, you know, okay, choreograph it. And then once you choreograph it, let's figure out how to get the influencers. Again, we used to have to go pay promoters and DJs to make us awesome and cool. Now we got to pay influencers, you know, social media content creators, because also we want our songs to have other legs. If it's not going to make it on the radio, at least I know this influencer who shared it so many times on his thing is making it still work for me better than getting some plays. Yeah, because you're still going to recoup yours on the back. You'll still see those numbers for you. But again, not every every artist sees that. But every artist that's behind a team, a label even, they've already seen. They're like, man, if you don't got that going for you, ah. I mean, we're doing it, but not doing it, <laughs> you know? So after you get those steps in place, you you get everything together, and then now the the song is going to be gone, launched, and see what happens. It's going to... And then after that, you start recouping the things on the back end. It doesn't even stop there when the song is launched. So when the song is, is launched, what are you going to do to talk to people and, and let them know? You're going to have to go on your little press tour. And that's between you and your team now seeing what kind of numbers are you making. Where are you even popular besides locally? How can you now make your brand global? How can you now walk into another city and be like, hey, this is me. 
And the places in the other city are going to be like, so who are you working with over here? That's why also some artists are comfortable at home because, you know, hey, once the whole city knows you, you can eat. You can eat. Once you got a good song in the radio, you start eating off of features. You start eating, you know, they'll start paying attention. You're eating off of appearances. Yeah. A lot of artists who from locally who haven't broken onto a, a world market or even if they have had that one song that goes worldly, they get enough recognition here to have a whole career. Shit, I've even heard that some artists can tour Texas and be fine with it. Yeah, Texas is huge. <laughs> See? It is, and there's so many little towns and little towns closer to the big towns, like closer to Houston, closer to Austin. Mm -hmm. They're not the biggest town, but they still have a solid amount of uh, population. Correct, yeah. And they can still perform, and they still, you know, they're looking for that particular person because the bigger artists, the more mainstream artists, they're never going to go there. But this guy is, you know, their song is freaking hot. Like, why not have them here? Why not have them come and perform? And, and you have to have other people besides yourself or else yourself be very in intuitive about how people respond to you. Gotcha. Where are they going to like your music? Once you get that formula down, Pat, and you learn to rinse and repeat and have the proper budgeting, because in the end, as an as a artist, what are you doing? Because, yes, I want to promote my music. I want my new album to sell, but that's still not enough to eat. So what other things as an artist, too, am I going to do? Merchandise game. Yep. You know, what am I going to come out? My shirts. Am I on my, my Instagrams wearing shirts? How many people in my friends list is wearing my product? You know, that's what really, really matters if you're not thinking about that. How many people that I walk and meet and shake hands can be my billboard? Mm -hmm. At least for that one moment in time so I can take the Instagram picture. Yep. You know, it, it, it's, it's that also brand recognition, brand awareness as an artist. It's not, hey, let's say all you got is one hit wonder. Then make merchandise based around that one song. And you can watch that one song is two, three years old just because you put these shirts out. Might hit when it's supposed to hit. Yeah. And then you never know because things come back to life. Some songs in TikTok, they're old, super old. All of a sudden, they just make a comeback. And yeah. before you know, you get another run at yeah. it. Yeah. 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 All right. What other steps? What other steps we need to have as an artist? You, once you've done the branding and everything, now you're looking into touring. You, you're starting to create moments so you can, you know, keep continuous to eat. They, what else can they keep doing? I mean, once you get to that stage and, and it goes back to step number one, like, again, have that right team around you. Because once now you're touring, you're going to need people to keep up with you. You know, um, she, uh, my girlfriend, Kat, that's what she does. She makes sure that the talent yeah. is on point to what they need to do, where they need to be. They show up good. They look right. They look presentable because it's a walking brand. You know, and a shout out to Cat Diesel, by the way. Shout out to <laughs> and, uh, you know, you got to make sure that it, it, it's hard once you have that machine going. Then after that, you got the person that has to make you relevant, has to make sure that in the press, your story is a story that that target market can relate to now. How does your story of the struggle make my story, your story, your story, everyone's story so you can now relate to me when you see my picture? When you see my picture, you see a reflection of your own self. That's what an artist wants to get out of a fan. Eventually, I want you to see yourself in me, that ego stroke, that. And sometimes your fan who doesn't have the backbone uses you as a backbone. And that's very important. Gotcha. It's very important. So do you have that in you now? Now that you're touring, whatever, do you have the responsibility to, to be a, a, a gatekeeper to yourself? To yourself. Because at that point... People are going to have an influence. People are going to think about you as a role model. And you can choose to be like, ah, oh, I'm not a role model. And watch how many people you affect. Or you can be like, yeah, I'm a role model. I'll be a little bit more conscious about the music I put out now. Yeah. 
you know, and that's a problem I see with even music nowadays, glorification and notification of violence mm-hmm. to where even to get noticed, you have to talk about violent experiences you've gone through. And there's the ops that they already passed away. But, but who are, yeah, who are the ops? You know, some artists that are famous are, are still famous off of selling the same bag of dope they sold in 2002. <laughs> it's still the same bag of dope, the same street that we hold them down, that homie died over. And, and in the end, I feel like some music is just straight up um, disrespect to maybe memories. Mm-hmm. Memories of, of, first off, of a culture, and then memories of people that we hold near and dear. We numb, making fun of people we've buried. We can't numb that. We cannot normalize that. We cannot put on TMZ uh, a murder of a creative mind and be, and be like, man, I'll wait to the next one. It's the same thing with school shootings. We're just going to normalize acts of violence. And when we do that, then what happens? It's not normal. I mean, none of those things are normal. No, those no. things are like no, no common sense behind it, no logical. There's nothing you can do, no matter how many times... We should realize that shit is not normal. It's not okay. But they sell us that image yeah. coming in. Yeah. But there's something to want to decide, like, no, we're not going to. Even though it's a, a, a occurrence that happens often, yeah. it's not going to be something that, at least for me personally, I'm going to say that this shit is not normal. It's not normal. I don't care how many times you want to play it like it is. And, yeah. it's, and, and I'm grateful it doesn't happen to me within my family, but it sucks where it happens to other people, but it's not freaking normal at all. And it's crazy. We might say this, yeah. but statistically, it's going to happen to us. Yeah. It's going to happen. As a male, you're going to be a victim victim, or know somebody that's a victim of gun, gun violence. Yeah. Crazy. That's crazy. That's not, you know. But what we can do as respective and type of members of society we are, mm-hmm. entertainers, yeah. we can be vocal, especially with platforms like this. And, and yes, we're going to be promoting music, but be a little bit wiser when you're, who you're promoting, how you're promoting, and, and pushing it up there. You know, mm-hmm. we are the people holding the cameras on. You know, they're not going to get famous if we don't film them. The minute we stop filming that, we're going to stop seeing the value of it. You know, and the more that we keep education going and the more that we keep education of music and culture in the schools as well. Because, you know, what they do take away from us is identity when we go into schools. Mm -hmm. You know, they want us to be the next great Whoever, get another job, resume, and go to wherever to feed the system, spend your money on the weekends, and rinse and repeat. Get in debt from college. college. <laughs> yes, and get credit cards. Get lots of credit get cards. A lot of credit cards. <laughs> spend money you don't have. Yeah. All right, so let's get into the Valley of the Kings, because I think you were touching up a little bit on what you were talking about, the artists and what it takes. So, and after you get to that, it's never ending, right? To to keep growing the artist, and you're just gonna have to repeat a couple of. Times it's it's over. a it's a rinse and repeat process. Yeah. Once you once you got those key elements, you realize that the next step when you go and do music again, you you learn what you did wrong, mm-hmm. and you learn what you did right. Mm-hmm. You know, every time that, from my experience, working on an artist, different artists on their album, you should, you get accepted into their family, mm-hmm. and then once you're done with the project, you get spit back out into the regular world. So you, how do you you know stay fresh and stay not used up is what you got to know as an artist, even producer on your team. How do you keep your team still loving you? Mm-hmm. You know, after that, how do you keep everybody still excited? Because you got bands like Rolling Stones who've been doing it for so long. You know, how does not that become a job where the dude's like, man, I've been hearing your shit for over 30 something years. I don't want to be there no more. They still, you know, stadiums and send that out. That's exactly years because it's good business. Mm-hmm. And then the end, that's what we're at. We're in the business of entertaining. All the other stuff is great. It's byproduct. It's ego strokes. We love it. We look great in designer clothing, sponsorship clothing that we didn't pay for. But in the end, we, we're creating. 
that's the end what we're doing, just creating. I like the fact that you touched up earlier on the fact that who's going to be involved, because all that matters as far as whenever things get distributed, who is going to be what and what percentage. So later you don't have problems with people like I was there. I said, yeah, yeah, a few times. And that's on the song. Yeah. Now you have problems because that person. He wants in. He was in. He wants in. And, and yeah. you know, you got to respect that. You got to respect that. Everybody's time is valuable. That one dude told you that. Yeah, yeah. You let him into the room. And guess what? That yeah, yeah. Try listening to the track without the yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's going to matter. It's so going to matter because that one dude who has probably the least experience writing a song has the most experience on where stuff is going to fit in the best. You know? <laughs> yeah, because he's a fan of maybe just the music and he understands, like, he likes to see he hits and he understands sometimes when the, the things that he be listening to, this is what they be doing. Always, always keep that individual. Yeah. Always keep what I said, virgin ears in your <laughs> studio. Keep a right. person who hasn't been completely distraught by the industry and still can listen to a CD and be like, man, I really like that song. Why? Because I like it. Yeah. No ins and outs. No. Oh, the engineering here was, oh, the tweaking of the, the mastering was so, I just, <laughs> I've been jamming that song. So I get into a mode where I jam a song for like a week, two weeks, a month, two yeah. months. Yeah. So right now I'm in that song. It's almost a year old. Uh, I think it's like a guy from Africa. Okay. Uh, um, I think it's called Calm Down. Okay. Baby, Calm Down. Calm Down. It's got a nice little freaking mellow. I really like it. I don't even understand some of the things, but it's a freaking vibe. It's like, yeah, it just makes yeah. you put you in the picture of a beach and dancing with your significant other, just jamming. Yeah. I don't know what I, it went into the production, but man, it's a whole vibe. The See? song is freaking beautiful. Those are opinions right yeah. there. Those are where you can remove yourself and get that opinion and then be a better producer. Yeah. Because again, feeling. I'm always going to be yeah, yeah, a big yeah. preacher of feeling, just like Rick Rubin. If it don't feel right, I don't want to mess with it, you know, <laughs> and if I can create too. Also, when you're in the studio with people who are shy or it's your first time, like, yeah. you know, new engineer, new studio jitters, how do me, I got to break the vibe now as a producer engineer, I got to break. What what thing can I remind him of his house real quick or his friend or if he brought his friend with him, let me try to break the ice with the so home. Trying to build a reporter already off the bat to try to, you have to. Like, yeah. I, I've even... Been in sessions with, you know, famous uh, producers like DOC and even uh, 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 Stevie J, where there's a conversation going on before we press play. Like, I need to know where you're at here. Yeah. Musically. Music, not mentally. Mentally, I'm already invested. I'm here. I already done the research. But musically, where are, where are we? How mature are you with the way we create music? Mm -hmm. That's always really important. I'm, I don't say there's no problem with not being mature in music. But it helps you figure out which direction or where we're going to start and you're not getting frustrated or creating a plan of how we're going to attack exactly. this project. Exactly. That's dope. Exactly. Okay, so I forgot to ask you earlier, the decision for you to go to school for audio engineering and all that, is that because of the love of music or because you felt more into the production? The love for the production part is more where you still make the music because you do it for yourself. But as far as the being in the engineer, being that, seeing that effect, that face expression, that 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 one spray that said, "Yeah, you make me sound the best right. I ever did." That's what you fell in love with mostly. I've, and is that what kind of draw you made your decision to go to school and learn more about it? I fell in love with the creation. Mm -hmm. I fell in love with every great song has some story behind yeah, it. Yeah, you tell me. That's what I fell in love with. Mm -hmm. The everything else is an awesome byproduct. That's what I I really think. The fame, the those awesome experiences you get with the people in that room for that brief moment in time, awesome. But it's just the creation of it. Even if it's just a creation of making a 
a synth we're going to use on a beat. That's mm -hmm. not even part of the creation of the song. You know, we're going now changing up what phases of creating do I enjoy the most now in music? You know, I, 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 I like that instead. Where do we move from? I can't get the symbol right. I can't get this, this lead in the song right. So let me bring a, a musician in. That's more interesting to me than the other stuff that people really come into the industry for. Gotcha. The money is awesome. Yeah, great. Thank you for it. But in the end, it's, it's something we're going to spend to be better. We're going to reinvest that money into our careers if we're smart. Yeah. So it's nothing that I get to sit there and be like, look at all this money. The money pile never grows to the point we want it to. It, it, it's just how it is. Look at what I made and look what I'm going to make. I, I keep, with I, the, and I keep it going. And yeah. I keep it going because the key word in this game that a lot of producers told me um, is consistency. 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 It's just a common word. It's consistency. You keep on doing it, keep on doing it, and people don't stop seeing you do it. I mean, that's what we. that's why we enter jobs that's why we even want to be recognized because we've sat there and done this so long so long and haven't stopped yeah. you know and if the one ego stroke i'm gonna get let it be that for god's sakes you know because you know you you don't people forget you after five years or so if you don't stand out yeah you do that okay so you are a founder and co-owner of valley of the king's music which again this is the establishment that we're at mm -hmm. we're gonna do some b-rolling here in a little bit as we talking so when did the decision to start and create the, this is like, is this your first, this is the second location or what location is this now? This is my third location. Third location. So you used to be in what, what was the first location? First location is off uh, Commerce and Malcolm X. Mm -hmm. It's downtown, a, the, downtown Dallas. Yeah. The place now I believe is called the Weed Spot now. Mm -hmm. It's a, a CBD dispensary, but it used to be a place called Last Beat Studio. One side was a, a professional studio. Uh, bells and whistles is really cool and the other side was just straight rehearsal rooms so i was recording out of my house at some point in time with an artist named young bleed used to be signed a no limit mm -hmm. and we saw some flying star in the back in the backyard he thought he told me it was a ufo and and, and that right there was the beginning of everything that i did because from that experience in my home studio he looked at me and he goes look we just saw some crazy spectacular shit so <laughs> let me tell you a piece of of, of advice that yeah, you might yeah, yeah. take with you and he told me he's like you're not going to ever be who you can fully be if you don't get out of this comfort zone called your house. Right. If I come to your house and I can record and I can see where you sleep, where you shit, where you, you know, just be, I'm not into that. I'm an artist that I've been to the best studios in the world. I still need, to, need to still feel like an artist. I still need to have that oomph. Even if I haven't made anything in years, I still need to feel my importance because I am an artist that's what i am in the industry as your co-worker make me still feel that awesomeness about myself so i can create the best with you mm -hmm. the minute i got that rolling i was like you know what i'm gonna get out the home studio and i'm gonna go find somewhere where i can set up shop um me me and uh two other friends uh we kind of just found a spot in deep ellum that practice room we built a practice room and by chance we had a man named bob suffolk World famous uh, studio designer. He also helped design this one here too. Um, actually designed all of it. Uh, nice. But um, he came by while we were trying to figure out what to build, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I'll build you a room here for this much. I'll, I'll just I'll just do the blueprints for y'all. Y'all build it." And uh, we we took his offer. He yeah. built us these blueprints in a in a room that he goes, "I've never built a room this small and this professional, but you know I like y'all's guys hustle. Let's do this." So in that little practice room we built this half Livy. it's a Livy design uh mixing room 
that, man, I was in there grinding for four years, doing the best right there in the middle of Deep Ellum, right during, uh, you know, the Katrina and stuff like that. I could just walk out uh, outside and population would be walking by and you pass out your flyers and you're going to get a client or two if you didn't have a good day. And there's a, people there consistently performing to oh. different artists. Yeah, back around that time, yeah, it was it was all packed. But then what hurt my business was at the time that the crime just got, like, all you know, crime here comes in waves. So Deep Bellum got infested with crime, outside crime. People couldn't go outside of the bars. Everybody was fighting type stuff. And uh, that's what I, my business went down. And that's when I said, man, if four years was kind of enough there, where can I evolve and grow out of? Gotcha. You know, good old Craigslist, though. I found uh, my second studio mm -hmm. on, and at that time I met this talented, talented engineer named uh, Tony Griffin, mm -hmm. and um, you know he used to re record the radio tags for ninety-eight point seven K Love. Nice. He used to do all that stuff there, and um, I entered into his facility. We had a great conversation, and I said, "How can we enter a business deal yeah. where I can take the over the lease, and you could still." do business here mm -hmm. so we figured out something and he became like this older i was like when in my late 20s at the time and this is older 60 something year old man <laughs> who gets accredited by the school i went to so the school i went to would go to him to accredit their whole curriculum really? and so in our spare time we have this legend in audio engineering where he was like like at this point in time it was like the end of his you know his career everything had kind of just gotten really comfortable for him. And what we did is we put a little spike into his, you know, uh, his, like, yeah, man. In the youth list. And, in life. and uh, we brought him, we brought him back to where the point where he was teaching us things that we, we couldn't, I couldn't have gotten, I went to school yeah. and I was learning things from Tony Griffith that I couldn't, I couldn't learn at school at all. And even the art, the art of the relationship with the client, mm -hmm. that's something right there that every audio engineering school needs to just have a, a yearly curriculum because it changes. Yeah. It changes the art of the client, the, the personalities, of, everything, the evolution. Like yeah. music, I thought was awesome back in the in the Dallas uh, Dallas dance boogie uh, times. That was awesome. It hasn't aged properly, you know. Now and even if it has aged properly, the music that that particular fan base that I'm trying to create music for or sell music to doesn't is, is evolves. Yeah. And if I if I have that closed minded view, like oh I don't listen to new music, <laughs> then you just don't. New music is the sound of the culture now. If we don't listen to new music, then we're not going to hear the problems, literally. Not to mention the technology, too. It changes with everything. The sound is just not the same compared to what oh, it used to be. Uh, Even if you recorded live instruments, it's just gotten better for you can, you know, grab some of those sounds that you couldn't back in the days. Yeah. So you have to learn all that. And things have become the norm, like auto-tune. Mm -hmm. Auto-tune is the norm now that even if you have somebody that can sing, oh, go ahead and put that auto-tune on them and then make it really low to where it's just minor pitch correction to give that shimmer, that shimmer, <laughs> that little, you know, shine on the track. Yeah. It becomes now an industry standard that even if you have talent there, I'll just put the auto-tune on it anyways. I don't, you don't want to make them sound like a robot, but just give it that, you know, it's always some key word. The main reason why some engineers use Avalon uh, preamp compressor EQs yeah. uh, combos is because they have that warmth. A lot of the warmth that we like in, me personally in rap music, Reminds me a lot of the warmth I heard in Nas records. A lot of the warmth heard in in just good good New York rap when it was at its best. When people kind of stepped out of doing the home studios and got into, you know, Quad, quad City records, like stuff like that. You know, when you had real deal engineers that had worked on 
again, Grammy-winning projects with yeah, different yeah. genres, but now they were caught up mixing this whole rap hip-hop genre. You know, that type of ear, too, was interesting to me. So we get this engineer who, for the first time, he's introduced to hip-hop, and look what he does to it. Wow, oh my God. And those are the things that I also nerd out on, too. That's cool. You know, what, what is the sound palette of that particular moment in history, and how does it evolve? You know, and, and as a producer engineer, you take that with you and how can you make that yours with the ever changing crap sometimes, you know? Yeah. 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 And after that place with that gentleman, where was that studio at? That was over there off of a 35 and Beltline. Beltline. Before they expanded the highway. Okay. So that's how I had to get out of that location. And how long were you over there? I was there almost four or five years, I believe. Five years. Mm -hmm. And then this is the third location now? Yeah, I took a whole year break. Uh -huh. I went to Colorado to, to enjoy Colorado. So that's the time you were over there. Yeah, we were building this location because gotcha. uh, the Texas Department of Transportation um, expanded the building of their highway over our studio. Mm -hmm. So I had to get into some, you know, court situations with them and settle out of court and stuff. And What's that called? Eminent domain. domain. Yeah, eminent domain. Eminent domain. If you don't know what that is, Google it. I know that word. Oh, like, it's, like it's, yeah, like it's tattooed on my forehead. I know that word yeah, way the too. government's familiar. trying to build a, a highway. Your house is in it. Your house is going to be taken away. Doesn't matter how much. But for a hefty negotiable price. Yeah, so make sure you negotiate the highest price ever and get the most out of it. Just know that you're going to be moving. There is yeah. no end yeah. about it. And don't let the landlord try to, you know, negotiate the price for you. Nah. <laughs> but well, learn that word but so I, I was able to find this this building i've been in this building i think for seven years now oh, nice and in this building i it was my first time that i had a studio that it was i part of the design process was input that my family had part of the whole location everything that we wanted is something that we all concentrated as a whole unit gotcha. you know by the time um the business stopped becoming a business with uh with friends and became now a family-owned business and stuff like that, you know, and then uh, not just being a family-owned business became a minority-owned female-led business, mm -hmm. you know, so that was one of the things we wanted to take to the evolution of being in here as well. We wanted to change the business model that we had going on, which was generally just catering to uh, a rap community and trying to grow a fan base like that as a studio, you know, a lot of having the motion, infantile notion in their head of a lot of, uh, I'm going to be the next Motown. You had to get rid of that, you know? So when I came in here, I didn't want to have this, oh, right, this is the most Knicks Motown. No, this place here is a creative hub. This place is where anybody can get together and be, be. Either you can be on front of a camera or you can be musically, just be. I, I want to have the best of the best in every single room and not worry about them. Oh, he's going to steal from me. He's going to, you know, there was a point in time in a recording studio that you had Bob Dylan, you had Roy Orbison, you had um, George Harrison from the Beatles, yeah. and you had and you had uh, I believe it was Willie well, Willie Nelson, and they were on the band called the the Traveling Woolberries, and in that no not no Bob Dylan right yeah so they're Traveling Woolberries, and they all were there because they recorded in the same studio, and then during break they'd be like shit we're over here recording in the same studio let's just get this band together and history. That band right there, you would never, you're never gonna see. Oh, Tom Petty, Tom Petty was in there. You're never gonna see all all those superstars like that play, you know. And, and the way they got together, you know, just generic, yeah. not not forced, not whatever. It was a place that they all knew can congregate. There's a different uh, other studios out there that have that vibe where you just step in and and you 
you're happy to know that there's a friend of yours in Studio B. Because when you can go and run to the other studio and be like, hey, come over here and check it out. I love that. I love that. When I can get an, an artist here that's recording folk rock music and go to the artist that's over there probably recording a whole other genre, step in here, and maybe that, that artist is like, hey, let me get a quick verse in there. And then you as a producer engineer are not creating a, a new genre because you're mixing different sounds. That's how Santana, whenever he was creating his sounds, he was hearing mariachi and he was hearing some other type of sound. And somewhere in the middle, he heard the sounds mixed. Yeah. And all of a sudden, he started creating the way that he was going to be playing because he heard the mix of the mariachi, mix of whatever band it was playing. Yeah. And in the middle, he was there and he was listening to it. And that's how he started to evolve in his sound. Yeah, man. Creating. That's crazy. Yeah, man. That's super dope. Okay. So the services that y'all provide here at the uh, Valley of the Kings, can you tell me a little bit what all the, is it that y'all do? I do the basic stuff that mm -hmm. uh, every studio does, recording, mixing, mastering. Um, also help with the production when it comes to if a person needs a little help with their song to say that whatever they worked on isn't quite up to where they want it to be. I help on that aspect mm -hmm. as well as the, the singing songwriting. And then uh, one thing we started to do post-pandemic was help with um, social media presence and not presence as do this every time on your facebook it's more like how are you going to carry yourself so people can want want to follow you gotcha you know what kind of content are you going to create so people want to monetize your content as well mm -hmm. so okay and then you were telling me earlier regarding the uh artists like if you were working on a song not only do you record you provide the basics but if you wanted to get a, a more experience and and you're really looking for professionals to take your career to the next level. You also uh, also create that or help build that? Yes, I help build at least a, a roadmap mm -hmm. to where you can either comprehend where you're headed to and can take it from there. I'm in no way interested in being anyone's manager. I'm in no way interested to be a gatekeeper or any of that. Okay. I believe the artist should empower themselves and their own vision to do that themselves. But what I want to do is give awareness to the artist that you know you got to have this much money to come into the industry in some sort of way, you know. And or get creative to get something happening. Yeah, have somebody that believes in you or cut a cost by learning how to do websites on your own, do your graphics on your own, do your production on your own. That might cut you a whole, you know, do the recording at your house to where you know how, how you're going to balance it because the first couple of years, like any business, you're not going to make any profit. You know, you're busy start as it is invest in investing it's oh, an yeah. investment for the first few years mm -hmm. so i want to have that conversation with every artist that i i speak with because that also determines how long am i am i going to be in business with you you know i i i have to gauge that as a business how long are is the lifespan of the average artist that can only put this much and and then how do i can help if if i don't want to see that talent fizzle how can i as a studio or a human being period help you not because creating music is important. And when you've invested so much and you feel like you get no return, let's find a way to get a return then. Because maybe all this planning that you did, since it's well-documented, we can change up the formula. But if it's not well-documented and you're not aware about those things, how can you change up the formula for success? Brock, you even have a formula of success. Everything becomes like a buzzword. Like, you got to do more marketing. What does that mean? You know? What does it mean, marketing? I got to do more more branding. You know? I mean? <laughs> It's like, stop giving me keywords and just 
Tell me who, give me a name, give me, give me a business exactly card. What you need to do? What does it mean? But yeah. marketing could be a million and one thing. Social media marketing, this and marketing. Like, what do you mean brand what? My logo, my what, my this yeah. and that. And, and, what and, and how do I not buy snake oil too? Because yeah. also you're in an industry that it's, it's a very scam heavy industry. So you got this documentary, I think, uh, uh, coming out, this American Greed thing with DJ ASAP, which is basically pyramid scheming the scene. What is that? I, I haven't seen it. I haven't kept up. But what does it mean? Just hear him kind of sort of telling the secrets of how people get finesse, uh, like people with a dream that want to make music and all of a sudden they get. Yeah, yeah I mean, the industry has a lot of people that sell wolf tickets. They feed mm -hmm. on your on your dream. They like, they like the ability of you trying, you know, they sell you the dream. They find a way to dry out your budget. You know, they find a way where Wait, no they, they know what you got. What can I, what kind of smoke and mirrors again, put you in front of what kind of clubs I can have you walk through that's going to make you feel awesome that I got the plug for that I know I can get you a walkthrough in there for free but I probably charge you so much because I got to make a living and that's all understood but do you care whether once the budget's gone do you care where this artist goes or do you only care that he feeds your your machine internally the music swindler they, they <laughs> put you and sell you in a beautiful uh club and shouting out your name and all they want to do is take your funds and, and the homies like the promoter now there's nothing wrong with having to stay in business. Mm -hmm. Now, if you know an artist, that that's all you're going to get at that place, well, you know, you better get yourself a photographer. You better shoot a video in that place. You better, since that place is hyping you up, you yourself better document. make sure you document Shit. all that. Mm -hmm. And then that whole month is just like, look what I did. Look how badass I look. You know, that's the trick, man. Mm -hmm. You know, if you know you're going to feel like you're going to get finessed like that if you're even going to take that negativity towards it like no make the best out of it yeah, the best out of make it the best out of it tell, tell your aunt to hold the, the the iphone the whole time i mean do something that doesn't make you feel like you're a victim or or yeah discourage took advantage of yeah you know music the music industry is is full of a, a bunch of fuck moments <laughs> you know just yeah. god damn it but when you get those highest highs when you really bust your ass they're very rewarding very rewarding and it feels easy that's why they have this overnight success because once you get the formula down oh man it's just rinse and repeat not to mention those those particular moments really do challenge the fact that do you really love this do, are you doing as a hobby or something that you thought that you would make it or this is challenging to realize like do you really love this stuff to keep pushing after that happened to to keep going and keep doing it and figure out different things to, to push you higher yeah you gotta to me, it took me a moment when I was in my mid-20s to realize that I'm a lifer for this. Mm -hmm. I'm doing this forever. I'm not doing I'm not, as much as I want to take a break one day. I can't take a break. It's always creating music, working on music. All my friends do music are always around. <laughs> right. So it never stops. So I can't take a break from that. It's just I'm in it to win it. And my wins aren't going to be the wins that people want. Sometimes my win with just getting one famous name in here and, and, and still seeing how the industry works from an actual person in there getting paid by a machine is the greatest joy of, of doing this because I get to still know and I'm still in the know and I still get to know how the industry works rather than being a dude who never gets to meet anyone in the industry in their life and makes it up in their head. And now you have these made up notions of how the industry works and you act bitter because you're not famous. You act salty because you're not part of the scene. I mean, nothing is yours here. You're not entitled to anything here. What you're supposed to do is be a member in this. I run a studio. I want it to be a rapper. But I realized, hey, man, if everyone's a rapper and every rapper wants, wants what? That stage should be mine. I never felt that anything should be mine. The only thing that should, should be mine is the effort I put into causing my brand to be known. 
That's, that's mine. I did that. I did all that help. I was able to organize the people to, to make that happen. And we all mutually shared a great benefit of it. You know, again, you have to have that mentality in this industry to, to survive in it, to build thicker skin, because there's always going to be a critique. There's always going to be people that felt like they helped you get there. But once you got there, like how much of the people stay around is important too. This just gets uninteresting. You know, if you do music in your youth and you realize that a, towards your 30s like if you don't really find the love for it you're gonna you're gonna stop doing it yeah that's true speaking of famous people that you work with let me name a few of the people that you actually work with you had the pr privilege of working with a grammy nominated and award-winning producer job ja born doc symbolic one sick witted along with all kinds of different artists uh nipsey hustle bumby ugk los Joel Santana, Flavor Flav, Lil Flip, The Road Music, Casino Guillotine, Slim Thugs, Know the Product, Prince P, Charlie Boy, High Note, DJ Drama, Hollywood Bebe, Travis Porter, uh, Tynesha, Kelly, Tum Tum, B Ham, Sore Loser, Money Water, uh, High Note Music, you have them twice, Loyalty Sally, Young Nation, Flower Child, Erica Badu, Gorilla Zoe, Paul Wall, Ritz, uh, Gucci Mane, Young Bleed that you mentioned earlier, and many, many more. Damn, bro. You I mean, that's the, that's the cool thing about owning a studio. Yeah. Owning a studio, you get to meet those people. You get to see the people. And, you know, those are lists of people that have walked through my doors. Yeah. You know, there's there's out of that list, there's some that I've worked with, and there's some that I've just, again, facilitate. That's all I really wanted to do, mm -hmm. is just have a place where I could facilitate and still see how this music industry works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like the history of it all. You know, so all the names you, you, you've named, I've had owned the facility for them to come through my door. And I've also had other talented engineers, you know, work, work and, and been able to give them, have that experience together yeah. for these particular names that you named off. You know, so, it's, it's, um, like I said, I've been doing this since I was 19. It's been a whole 20 year wild ride of it. And even like some of the names you, you listed, I was like, yeah, oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Nipsey, He's, uh, rest in peace. Then that was a fun time. That was a fun experience. He brought a whole two tour vans, uh, tour van buses full of people. My studio had never been that full. Of, I knew for a fact I was capacity that day. I was like, everything was full. Two buses. Two buses. Two. Yeah. He he had just came from uh, the the concert that he did with the with the game. Uh -huh. Right right from then he went straight to the studio, tour bus and all. I mean, it was my first real taste of like seeing. The machine, you know, I was like, wow. I remember seeing, oh man, I saw this producer. I was really fanboying at mm -hmm. that point in time about like, just, wow, this is crazy. There was even a pimp walking around. <laughs> what? There was even a pimp serious? walking around with Snoop Dogg <laughs> on FaceTime. Yeah, yeah, with yeah. Snoop Dogg on FaceTime. And, 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 and it was just like, wow, this is, this is here. This is so cool. the pimp is on the phone talking to Snoop Dogg. Was, yeah, on FaceTime talking to all of us and stuff like that. And, and it, was, it was, you know. That's cool, cool little dope. experience, man. Okay, tell me one more story that stands out besides that one. That was pretty dope. Uh, Recipes, Nipsey Hustle, but that was awesome that mm -hmm. you were able to facilitate the place. Tell me one more that stands out right now that comes to mind about, you know, people that came through. Oh, man. Uh, we're, I know you have a million and one stories, but one that really stands out that's kind of cool <laughs> is uh, I, I'm a you know I'm a big Tupac fan. Yeah, yeah. So I like to hear you get stories. Yeah. So I got to work with uh, Shock G at one point in time. And, you know, that was a really, it was cool because it was like working with, um, working with a creative genius and seeing him kind of be in an environment where I would compare like a Hunter S. Thompson, you know, really in his vibe. You can't take him out, out of his zone. 
And when he wanted to open up to you, he opened. You weren't going to sit there and ask him questions like, hey, tell me about Tupac. No, you'd sit there. You're sitting there rolling your own blunt. He comes sits down next to you. And he's like, you know when we was doing this song? You're like, oh, shit, hold on. Yes, I want to know about when you were doing that song. And, you know, he goes off. And, and that was probably one of the most memorable times for me personally because I got to hear firsthand accounts of uh, of of a musician that I've always wanted to 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 know yeah. that process. And especially my favorite album, Me Against the World, which Shock G did a lot of lot of production behind. And to hear the compositions of uh um Shed So Many Tears, how that all came about and, and the vibe there. Just hearing those stories was way better than hanging out with Justin Bieber or stuff like that. And trust me, like though that right there was the still to me the one of the hot coolest moments. How did that song come about? What was the intel of that story which one remember what they told by that song you was telling me about i was just so many tears it's more like the lick the lick that that uh homie was messing around with the piano because he was an awesome you know keyboardist I mean, instrumentalist period and just coming around with just the playing playing it playing it and then and reinterpolating a sample because that's what it originally was a sample. a sample so the whole struggle he told me about having to reinterpolate the sample and then you know first uh trying to come up with the writing because it was Pac would be in his own zone writing music and then you know sometimes there'd be a little interjection and since Omi was a producer he had to always really figure out a vibe like to get Pac to open up and just describing how he got Pac to even just mess with his voice or even do those little things that producers do to yeah. discover those eureka moments mm -hmm. I, I I really liked it, like him telling me that Pac finding his inner That's the okay. voice the voice that we all now like Stuck in our head, trademark, trademarking. Yeah, that's pretty dope. Awesome. We run a little bit on, uh, out of time. I appreciate your time. Thank you again. We'll shoot a couple of B rolls to show the the great uh, studio that you have. Uh, but you also have other stuff going on too. Like you have a barbershop and there's uh, the uh, the room that you do. I don't know if you have used to performing or practice your performance. Yeah. So like that right. So every room here, I like to have for some sort of creation purposes, and it's not just music. It goes with the culture of what we do. Gotcha. So what's part of the culture of, of music is, is looking fresh, staying styled, you know? So that's why I made sure there was a barbershop. Because <laughs> sometimes I, there's a lot of video shoots that happen here. And maybe that artist doesn't have time to get that edge up or the barber wasn't available. But it's important to show ourselves the way we got to look clean. We got to look desirable. You got to look clickable, yeah. you know? So, hey, why not put the barbershop right there where, hey, you know, some of the best of the barbers I got around here doing their thing and... Yeah make my clients, you know, more comfortable where they're at and feel more the vibe of where they would if they were styling themselves for a, a music video. Music video got all that going on. Um, then the next thing, too, is, like, I have other studios. I have a Studio B, and that Studio B for me is is uh, is something I wish I had available when I was in, in music. You know, it's, it's, it's a place where you can go and set up shop on your own there. I'm, you, you're the engineer. You come with your own clients. All you really pay is the fee to be in there. And set up shop, learn how it is to run a business in a business environment of your own creating rather than taking people to that one place where the dude can see where you sleep, where you shit, where you live and take them to the place where you make beats, where you cut deals, where you do business as a real person in the industry. So they can take you serious because exactly. they're going to take you serious and maybe, like you said, I was there. Apartment or whatever. I was there. I was that dude recording people out the house. But you notice the difference serious. once you took your, once you had your place yeah. compared to that, you understood what he was saying, the DJ, uh, that the artist was saying. Yeah, I understood right? the young people was saying. It is a whole different vibe. Oh, yeah. And people take you a different from what you're doing. 
Now, what you were doing with your homies, all of a sudden, like, I mean, you have a freaking brick and mortar. You have a place and people are like looking to you like, yeah, I heard you. I heard of y'all before, even before I met you years ago. I heard of Valley of the Kings. That name here in the Dallas area is known and you hear it all the time. I know so because I've been around and did music too for a little yeah. bit. But I heard of y'all before. Y'all's name been uh, all over the DFW. You hear it often as far as people that are coming over here, doing work and different things like that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so that came from the, pa pa the part that you needed to have a place in order to be taken serious, to be seen like that. Mm -hmm. That's pretty dope. Amen. Okay, so tell me all your uh, social media, uh, all projects that you have going on. I know you was telling me you have a single. So you do music still now for you. You're... Well, I do music for fun. I'm like, uh, once everybody's gone and uh, I still got energy, I'm like, hold on. I still got a, got a bug in me. Or... Yeah, no, yeah, and I'm always producing, like, you know, like an artist draws. I mean, producing music to me is that when I need to chill or do something mm -hmm. like that, I'll make a beat. So I have a lot of beats in my own personal storage. Mm -hmm. And then I'll bust them out. And, you know, writing a song is pretty simple. So. I'll, if the creative juice is in me, boom, I'll go ahead and do it. So right now, like I got two singles that I've put out on my Billy Sin page on my Spotify. Yep. And um, slowly throughout this year, just um, putting out all the music that I've recorded in the last three to four years. You know, I have a lot of music with High Note. I have a lot of music that uh, that I've helped produce uh, that never has seen the light of day. Mm -hmm. That I kind of just want to stop being that audio hermit that I talk about, and and I don't want to be that person that I tell you not to be myself. Yeah. But again, uh, yeah, so I do that. I got the Spotify Billy Sin. I also got uh, on Instagram uh, Billy Sin, Facebook Billy Sin. But then when you get to my Twitch, it's Billy underscore Sin. And Twitch is a whole nother beast when it comes to the, the thing. From there, it's like I've brought my music, but I brought the music now into combining it with the gaming and combining it with the being a content creator in its essence. You know, when I go on Twitch, I stream, you know, when you're a streamer, you got to stream there for like a good four hours. So in them four hours, like I have curated playlists where I have different producers that I enjoy on on uh, Spotify. So I, I, while I'm playing the video game, they're my soundtracks. At the same time, they're my soundtrack. It allows them to get paid, do whatever they're registered in there if the algorithm catches it and such. And then um, I'm promoting their who they are, their brand, seeing their logo, where the album is coming from. Uh, another hour, I promote my own music, so I'm promoting my own self the, or people that have worked in the studio, people working at the studio with releases. That's their self-promo time. And then the rest of it becomes more like a conversational or check me out playing this game, but still constantly plugging in my brand. Yeah. So besides just playing game games, I'm kind of just really trying to tap into a new audience and showing them all this library of stuff that I've already made. And I can just introduce it to a brand new audience in a brand new way that they can consume it. And at the same time, see that I'm, I'm also a music producer and I can add to their content creating experience by giving them original music. Oh, yeah. So in the essence, I'm just really there streaming to promote everything I do here in real life. But hey, I'm not just stuck to in real life. I can also help you with the streamers, which is one of the, a growing business. Oh, yeah. The video game industry is a ever expanding, doesn't ever shrink at this point you know so and then the streaming market is a very large market to where you're getting your top notch celebrities now a-list celebrities coming out to stream or out of streams so that that's also another thing i really wanted to touch down is just the streaming so again instagram all billy sin 
But when you get the Twitch, is Billy underscore Sin. Yeah. Just because yeah. I wanted it to be a whole different vibe from everything that was promoted. Absolutely. And as far as uh, any uh, merchandise or anything that you do as far as here at the Valley of the Kings, and one more time, the information for Valley of the Kings. Valley the Address and the email or telephone number, website, whatever. All right, Valley of the Kings, man, located in 9550 Skillman Street, Suite 410. Uh, the number to get a hold of everything is 469-223-1591. And, um... That's, that's yeah. That's how you get a hold of it, and then social medias. You can send the DMs, and I'll reply right back. Uh, it, yeah, that's it. That's hey. it. So I'll hit. Uh, I put all the stuff on the description. Make sure we have uh, any. Uh, make sure we have all the information there for you to make sure people find it. Now, as far as the uh, shout outs, any shout outs you have? Oh man, shout out to to Los to High Note man. Shout out to High Note. Shout out to everybody that helped me. You know, do this. You know, my former partners, business partners. Uh, you know, my mom, my family. Those are all the people that helped with the beginning of this. And even when, when I moved, moved into this, if it wasn't for dudes like Hino and Enrico and IQ, just helping the brand that I have get out there. You know, it's important to have that foundation. If I didn't create that foundation with my artists, with my clients, you know, the dudes like Munster, these are all people I love. And because they helped me at a very early stage to evolve with who I became and have become... It's important. Again, those are the people I really love, and I constantly give a shout out. To. Yeah. And also, Valley the King. Uh, also, if you want to do some kind of release party, you, you can also talk to you about the not only producers because you are focusing, not focusing, but you are able to if you needed to have like a release party. Yeah, so, do that. So it's a, you know I, I have this studio that's also a, a venue. Mm-hmm. So in the venue, I like to create uh, parties that are different, so the artists can express themselves and still be able to get that album release feeling right i had a party here for prince p really talented artist that i've worked with for the last long time almost a decade and we created a whole experience here with him as well with wolfie that the audience was didn't know they were in on something you know it's like we was seeing this experiment how they would react to the music how they would react to also the the vibe the uh, prince p's party was really got a dress for success look you know that's his his look his whatever so everybody that came through the door dressed for success really sharp really awesome while then you had wolfie's premiere which was more like a interactive almost felt like a dinner theater type of with live performances going on Mm. so those are the vibes i want to create here at this studio as well so if you're looking to make something more out of your event than the average Hey, listen to my party. Here, check the list of all the songs in this club. And then they're even going to play your song. Yeah, no, I want to. I want to have you at least perform for the people that came to listen to you. That so they can know that what they're hearing on wax is still going to be something that they see in real, real life. And then you have the whole sound and everything, the speakers, and it sounds great. Whatever is whatever I I have here through the community of uh, artists and engineers and people that have helped me grow. You know this ev- this everything you see here is because they want it here. You know. This is not all by chance. This is all done perp- on purpose. And the people that you meet through these doors that have helped me for so long, you know, like Prince P and stuff like that, they create this vibe the minute you walk into the door. Why it feels like home is because artists like them take their shoes off, put it up, and be like, hey, this is home. Mm-hmm. You know? That's dope. That's dope. And uh, one more question that I have. So I usually say this one because uh, uh, some of things that happen to you in regards to, like, just life in general. So if if there was something a very important lesson that you learned in the music business or auto engineer that you would tell your younger self that would help somebody else what would what would that be protect your ears 
don't ride in a car with anybody who's gonna shoot a gun uh, or something like that. I mean, just just protect uh, your ears, okay? Protect your ears. Just protect yeah. your ears, because it's hard going through life with hearing things differently, you know? Especially being an audio engineer. Oh man, yeah. That's ridiculous. Just, yeah, just protect your ears. I, I know what you mean, because um, this one is not favorable because of, yeah. was it the military? Yeah. For my freaking headphones, I mean my plugs in. You got a perforated eardrum type situation. No, but sometimes it makes funny and stuff. <laughs> but they gave me plugs. I just didn't do it, so I know I don't know what you mean. But, but it is important but, on in the job that you do to make sure that you take care of it. So let's at least get insurance on it. Something. Okay, and then th another question is something that I do usually in the morning times when I wake up is that I'm not immortal. I am mortal. And I will die one day. I got this from this guru that uh, he usually does different things like that. And just to make me realize that I'm not here forever. I'm not wishing anything upon nobody, right? But we're not here forever. Uh, we, eventually, it's going to expire. However, after you lived a long, prosperous life, what do you want uh, people to feel about your life? That it was well lived. Awesome. That I lived it. That I got up every day and I just lived it, you know, and didn't care about anything else. That's dope. That's dope. All right. I it's freaking crazy, bro. Like the fact that you uh if it wasn't because like you you fell in love with music, of course, and, and realizing that you liked it. And then the fact that you could have easily taken that artist and said, like, oh, you know what you're talking about, I'm comfortable here, I'm making music, I'm doing whatever hustle I'm making, and then that's it. But you took that and that was life changing for you to create and have locations at different places, right? To again, I'm telling you, your name as far as the Valley of the King Studios is recognizable in Dallas. So that's freaking dope. And not to mention the music that y'all put out, being everywhere, it's definitely global. So Villasin, you definitely are a global Latin factor. So thank you very much. Appreciate you being here. Appreciate you having me here. Man, well, yeah, here. you can kick back, you can chill. You don't get guys don't gotta go home, you know, you can <laughs> still get all the B roll and just kick back. All right, appreciate it. This was another episode of the Global Latin Factor Podcast. Remember, we are just like you. We are people. We are the spice in this melting pot. That it is the world. Till next time. Thank you. Thank you very much for checking out another episode of the Global Latin Factor Podcast. Subscribe to the channel. You are very important. It means a lot to us whenever you subscribe and hit the bell so you can know when we release new episodes. Again, it makes a big difference to us and we appreciate it. Thank you very much. Pero but in fact it's a flamingo Coming to Havana, Henry from Puerto Rico On a pirate ship, he don't know where do we go